Thanks, Ben. And Ben is a Cairns student that's one of our interns right now. So we're so happy to have all of the college students here and all of our high school students and all of you. Isn't it great to be able to meet together? Uh, I think sometimes we take it for granted, but recently we don't take it for granted anymore. And each Sunday when we get to meet together, what a great privilege it is. And so good to see all of you and that we can be together in person. So if, why don't you just turn to somebody nearby where you are, everybody's pretty close to somebody else. Just say, glad you're here and, and welcome them here. And we're so glad all of you are here. Yeah, we do this together. We join together to remind ourselves of what's most important. And we can do that in a lot of different ways. Just your presence makes a difference. Just your being here impacts all of us. We get together to remember that God is someone who's worthy of all of our worship and our praise. And so we want to do that. We want to lift up his name and exalt him. The Bible says that the greatest commandment is to love God. And we know that when we do that, it gets everything else into perspective. We join together to lift our voices out loud, to encourage one another and to sing out our faith because it impacts all of us. And then we read the scriptures, we study the scriptures, and we have the Lord's table together. So today we'll be able to celebrate the Lord's table. And if you didn't pick up one of the packets yet, you can grab one in the lobby and we'll celebrate the Lord's table in just a little bit. Just wanted to tell you that we've been on this journey through the book of Romans, you probably noticed. And I don't know if you've had this experience like I have with my family, but we've had a couple of occasions where we've taken a pretty long road trip. And so we get everybody packed into the car and we start off on the trip. And before we get rolling, you know, people are, have a lot of anticipation. Maybe we're going to drive all the way to Florida. And so after a long Long time in the car. A long, do you know what I mean? The parents know what I mean. Long time, we get to that sign that everyone's been waiting for. Welcome to Delaware. Oh, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet, right? So we have a long way to go. And I don't know if you felt that way in our journey through Romans. I really haven't. It's been great, hasn't it? In fact, I'm looking now, it looks like we might finish by around Easter time, and I'm wishing that we could create a couple more chapters or something, because it's been so good to go through the book of Romans together, and just to read it, to let it soak into our souls. And as you might know, we are up to chapter 13 and verse 8, and we're continuing in our study. And the first chapters in Romans, in fact, the first 11 chapters, they set up this section of the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters remind us that we were lost. We had no hope and God came and rescued us. That God himself, isn't it unimaginable that God himself became one of us and walked among us so that he could get us, right? He could understand us. But more than that, he could die in our place as our substitute, one for one. Because he's human and lived perfectly, he could die just for you. Because he's God, he could die for each one of us as if we were the only one and pay completely for all the wrong things in our life. But more than that, to give all of his goodness, all of his righteousness to be placed on me, even though I don't deserve it. And the first chapters in Romans are so powerful, aren't they? To set up what's coming now in chapter 12, 
Paul begins to talk about, this is the Apostle Paul writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a message to me and to you today to remember to live out our faith, to live that out with all of our heart. And so you might remember in chapter 12, there's a huge turning point in some of the verses that many of us consider life-changing to think about, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, that we should surrender ourselves then, given what all that God has done before, we should surrender our lives to him as a living sacrifice, that we give him every area of our life and say, God, I owe you everything. You created me, but then you recreated me. And what Jesus did for me, I owe you everything. And so I give my life completely over to you. And I wonder if you've done that, if you have surrendered your life. We need to do that often because we keep taking it back, don't we? He then goes on to say, don't get pressed into the mold of this world. We have a heavenly vision now of something greater that God is showing us. Don't get pressed into what everyone around you is thinking, but instead have a renewed mind. By the power of God's Holy Spirit and the word of God, we can understand God's will and we can follow it. And when we do, we begin to live a different kind of a life. The Bible then in chapter 12 goes on and talks about how we don't do that by ourselves, but we are part of a body, part of a community of people that care about you. We do it together as the body of Christ. Each one so different than the others, each one with our own gifts that God's given to us. And as we serve him together, it's like we're a body. You know, some parts are hands and feet and every other imaginable part. And we work together to bring God the glory. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but as Pastor Dan was preaching through that next section, there's a whole list of commands. It's almost like we're barraged, bombarded with commands. And I don't know if you're like me, but what I found myself doing was I started giving myself a rating. Like if, if I rate like one to 10, did you guys find yourself doing that? How am I doing on this? So let me just give you some examples. If you remember from chapter 12, do you remember these? Love must be sincere, hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. How are you doing so far? I, I found myself, uh, I think maybe two on that one maybe a seven on that one. Did you find yourself doing that too? These powerful commands keep us on track if we're paying attention and watching. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. We need that one, right? Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These are powerful commands that orient our life if we pay attention and listen to them. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And it's at that point in Romans 12, 13 that it seems like Paul shifts his focus. He's been focusing on our relationship with one another as part of the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters, those that are here that we know and love. But now he makes it even more challenging because it seems that he now shifts the focus to people who are not Christian. They don't believe what we believe. They don't live like we do. They don't understand us. And in Paul's day, 
They even persecuted the Christians. They not only didn't understand them, but made life very difficult for them. And so Paul shifts his focus and now says this. Isn't this even more challenging? Bless those who persecute you. How could we ever do that? Don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he goes on to talk about how we shouldn't take revenge on those that hurt us, but to give that over to the Lord. These are hard sayings. If your enemy is hungry, ignore him. Is that it? No, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Boy, this is, these are hard commands, and we know that it's only by the power of God and the Holy Spirit that we can live like this, but when we do, everyone, what a testimony it is to the world around us. Now, we get to verse 8 in chapter 13, and we've just gone through, if you remember last week, Pastor Dan talked about, as we relate to those who are not Christians, it's important for us to submit to the government that's over us. It's almost shocking that Paul says it because he himself will end up being put in prison just for being a Christian. But he says, listen, God put the authorities that are there in place, obey the government, do what the government says. And we get through that passage to verse eight. And if you follow with me now, if you have your Bible or your app or we, we do allow for those who are a little bit more lazy like myself, and we're going to put the Bible verses up here. So we get to chapter 13, verse 8, and listen to what Paul says. I'm going to read through the passage, and I have to admit to you that each one of the parts of this passage could be its own sermon, for sure. So we're going to touch on each part and mention some things, but I'm hoping you'll go back and study it even more. Look at verse 8 of chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding. And another translation says, right, owe no man anything. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of our flesh. 
what we're going to see in this passage, there's really three things that Paul points out. And I think when we get to this point in the book of Romans, we don't see that barrage or list of commandments anymore or things that we should follow. I think what Paul's doing is he's actually talking to us about three motivating factors so that we will, it will govern our actions and how we treat others. Notice these three things in the passage. In verse 8a, he tells us to live honorably before people that don't know Jesus. In verses 8 to 10, to love God and to love others the way that God wants us to. When we get to verse 11 to 14, he's admonishing all, he's reminding us, wake up and live your life wisely. Live today as if today is your last day on earth. How would that change how we live? Let me go back then and explain each part. The first verse, verse eight, just the first part of the verse talks about how we should live honorably in front of those who don't know Jesus. And Paul simply says this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. And where does he get that from? Well, if you look at the previous verse, verse seven of Romans chapter 13, it's finishing up the section that Pastor Dan preached about of submitting to the authority of the government. And here's how he ends that section. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, then pay the taxes. If revenue, then pay the revenue. If you owe them respect, then respect. If it's honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding. And what Paul's pointing out to us is that the way that we live does make a difference. The way that we live in our private life and even handle something like our finances is a testimony to our own family, but also it shows the character that we have to those that don't know Jesus. Maybe we're surprised that the Bible speaks so often about money and how we should handle it. That money is a gift to us from God, it's not ours. And so all that we have, we use it for his glory and realize that this is a gift from him. Now, I don't think anybody here had this happen when you were in high school. And I was in high school before the turn of the century. That's how long it was ago, I know. And so no one else had this, I'm sure. But we used to have a couple of guys in the lunchroom, like at lunchtime, and they would always ask for money. Does anybody have this? You didn't have that. And so like back then, they would ask for a quarter. Now, what are they asking now for 20? I don't know, right? And so, give me a quarter, give me a quarter, got a quarter, got a quarter, give me, okay, 10 cents, 10 cents. They would even take pennies back then, right? And as soon as they got enough money, they'd go and buy their ice cream sandwich or whatever as they were trying to get enough money for until we kind of all found out they got plenty of money. They're totally mooching off of us. Anybody else have this experience? You're looking at me like, no, we don't know any moochers. I had to look up the word moocher because I'm like, where did this word come from? It turns out it's a Middle English word that means that you're pretending to be poor. I thought that was kind of perfect. And I don't know whatever happened to those guys that were the moochers in our class. If they ended up being moochers their whole life, I don't know. And maybe we could summarize, maybe this is a bad way to say it. Do you think we could summarize what Paul just said? Live honorably in front of unbelievers and to and to be careful with how you spend your money, how you use it. Do you think we could say, don't be a moocher? I don't know. But you know, there are certain principles that the Bible talks about. A couple of Bible verses in particular, just as examples, 
in Psalm 37, it says the wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is gracious and gives. In the Proverbs chapter 22, it says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the, the lender's slave. You know, the Bible does talk about money and how we should handle it. And um, Michelle and I were, were learning about this and we, we try to follow some principles in our lives to guide how we handle our, our finances and the things that God has given to us. I'd like to share just a few of those with you. One is that we think it's a biblical idea to borrow only what you're certain you can repay. I think we get into trouble when we keep borrowing and we realize that we could never repay that. So what a great principle to follow. Second thing, make it your practice to save up first and then to spend, right? Sometimes we wanna quickly borrow, but why don't we have a little bit more patience and save up first and then we can purchase without loaning, without borrowing money. Third, don't allow debt to become habitual or repeated or ongoing because then it becomes a burden, doesn't it, everyone? It begins to strangle us. Number four, we can use credit as a tool and we have this gift of a credit card, but we should pay that credit card off every month rather than keep carrying a balance that will, again, end up crushing us. If we can't do that, then we're gonna cut up our credit card because there's a good way to use that and a bad way to use it. Number five, what we do with money, we should do with all areas of our life. The same kind of discipline and care and generosity that we, that we apply to our finances, we can apply to every area. To give respect where respect is due. To give honor where honor is due. And to be patient and to use what God has given to us wisely, both of our money but also of our time and our abilities that we generously give to others. Now, Paul doesn't go into much more detail except that he says, oh, no person anything. I don't think he's forbidding us to take out loans or to borrow money. I think what he's saying is live in a way that's honorable. Be trustworthy. Live the kind of life that shows the character that God has instilled in you to be wise with what he's placed into our hands. Now, there's a second thing that Paul talks about, and it begins at the second half of verse eight. And he says it like this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now, are you, are you still giving yourself a rating, one to 10? How, how are we with how we love each other? How are we doing? Remember, Paul talked previously in chapter 12 about how we love brothers and sisters. But I think now he's turned his focus to those that don't know Jesus. How well are we loving others in our family that don't know him? Maybe they even make fun of you for being a Christian. Do we love them well? Our neighbors and friends, coworkers, those that maybe we don't even know yet. How well are we loving them? This is what Paul is getting at. And he said, you know, we don't want to carry debt 
it's a stranglehold on us. It holds us back. But there's one debt that we will never, ever repay. As hard as we try and as much as we do, we could never match the love of Jesus Christ that he has shed abroad in our hearts so that we could be accepted by God the Father. The incredible sacrifice that he made demonstrated his great love for us. Am I right, everyone? How could we ever thank him enough? God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we could never, ever get close to the kind of love that he gave to us. But instead, we turn around and we share with others that kind of love that he gave to us. Now, just as Dan Locke shared with us earlier, the Bible speaks often about how we should love God. In fact, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. The Bible says that Jesus showed us, he demonstrated this and gave us commands. If you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, then love your brothers and sisters. Greater love, there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. We know that he told his disciples, this is my commandment, love each other. He said that this is how all the world will know that you're my disciples, if you love each other. So it's not a new thing that Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about a new idea that we should love each other, but what is different is how he connects this now with the Ten Commandments, with the commandments of God. Now, the Bible says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Because Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought, and that word right there, ought, means we owe it to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Notice what Paul does. I'm going to read it again. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shouldn't covet, and whatever other commands there are can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What Paul does here is very unique. What he's saying is something that maybe we haven't thought about, that one of the best ways that we can love others is by following God's commandments. If we follow his commandments, then we are leaning into how God designed us to be. See, God's the one that created us. And when he made up the commandments that we have, 10 commandments are an example, he knows exactly what we need, what's best for us as humans. And when we follow that, when we follow how God told us to be, even though maybe everything within us is trying to go in a different direction, when we follow the commandments of God, we end up creating a better world, don't we? Can you all imagine what it would be like if everyone in this world, eight billion people, followed the commandments of God what would the world look like? We can't even imagine a world like that because our world's so broken and my life is so broken. I'm so prone to break God's laws and do things that are against what he desires. 
And if that's my life, multiply that by eight billion and we begin to see why the world is the way that it is. You know, what is love? In our culture, we get it so mixed up and think that it's a warm, fuzzy feeling that I have for someone else. And if that person crosses me or does something that I don't agree with, then I don't love them anymore. The biblical concept of love is that we care for someone else and honor them so much that I want their benefit and I'm willing to sacrifice for what's best for them regardless of the cost to me. And that's what Jesus did for me, wasn't it? That Jesus gave up his life so that I could be benefited. Now he's asking me to turn around and to live that kind of life and to love others that way. The best way to love our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, is to do it in the way that God revealed to us to do, by following the path that he has set out for us. Now, he mentions four of the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you noticed. They're all from the second tablet of the Decalogue, from the second part of the Ten Commandments. He leaves one out, but then he catches all of us because he says, and whatever other commandments. So we, we don't have a loophole there. He's asking us to take a look at the commandments and to love others like this. And we know do not murder. We know that one. But Jesus taught us if we have hate in our heart, we've committed murder. So what if we said it like this? How am I loving my neighbors that we don't hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love? Wow, that's, that's quite different than do not murder, isn't it? But that's what God has in mind when he told us, don't kill anyone. Don't hurt them. Don't hate them. Don't be hostile to them, but be patient and peaceful. And it says right here, even on social media. Right? In our personal life and conversations, that we love people by following the commandments. The Bible says do not commit adultery. That we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, impure looks, words, thoughts, or desires, or whatever will lead to them. That we don't take without permission, right? We don't steal. Don't take without permission that which belongs to someone else but also don't withhold any good from someone we might benefit. But that's a lot harder, isn't it? Don't withhold any good from someone we might benefit. Don't lie. That we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. That we do not covet. That we are content, not envying anyone, or resenting what God has given them or us. And these are just examples, aren't they? That God has asked us to love people by following the path that he's put before us. And this is the best way that we can love them, is by living out what God commanded us to do. Everyone, do we all realize that love is hard for us? It's hard for us to love God and love others because it's exactly against our flesh, our sinful nature. Our nature is to push God away. 
and to be selfish. Let's be honest. But God's asking us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do something quite different, which is every day to intentionally love others with my actions, with my thoughts, and with my life. And I don't know if you all realize it, but this church is starting to get a reputation. You know, the things that you're doing as a congregation are making a difference in this community. People talk about you. Do you know that? They talk about the way that you care and that you love, that you reach out in ways that, why would you ever do that? I don't know what you think of when I say that, but this church has done things like Code Blue, where we open up our church building to people who don't have a warm place to sleep. When the wind chill factor is 26 degrees or lower, we're happy to open up the building with a warm meal and a safe and warm place to sleep for our friends who don't have the advantage of a warm place to stay. This church has been about trunk or treat, reaching out to our neighbors to love them, our food pantry and community meals, the hotel ministry, the Super Bowl of Caring, which will happen next Sunday, where the entire town of Bristol Borough is going to put food items out on their stoop so that we can help all the food pantries in Bristol Borough, and we all can bring our food here, and we can put it all together to help all the food pantries in Bristol Borough. You're starting to get a reputation, everyone, so watch it, all right? You know, it's beyond that too because I think all of you know that there's been a lot of grief in our church recently, a lot of loss. And the way that you all have responded with cards and notes and phone calls to support and to encourage and your prayers, they make a difference. I know that there was a, a young lady who found herself in a situation where she's gonna have a baby and didn't quite know how she would take care of her baby and how you all responded to that in such a loving way to help provide for little Nadia. The way that over, just before Christmas, we were able to help people who are immigrants to this country, who don't have a lot of family or friends and no possessions to speak of, and how this church demonstrated its love with generosity. And those who went with us, you know that <clears throat> of all the churches that contributed, our church may be the smallest, but we had maybe twice as much donated items than any other church, not that we're comparing, but thank you for your generosity. You know, God has called us to love others, to love those that may not love us back, and we do that together, and now we also need to think about how am I loving the people in my life where God's put me in my, in my job, in my school, in my neighborhood, with my family, maybe those hardest to love are right in, in our own family. What if this week each one of us decided that we would pick one person that we're gonna reach out to and love in a special way, the way that Jesus loved me? What if we each did that? Imagine the impact that that would have, and this is exactly what God has wanted us to do, isn't it? God wants us each to shine like a light so that where he's placed us, people will know of who God is and what he's like. This is what Paul's talking about, and you can tell, because now Paul launches into a wake-up call. Did you notice what follows this then? 
Live each day wisely, he's saying. Listen to these words. Do this, understanding, everyone, the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up. Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Boy, that's a very inspiring charge, isn't it, for us all? To put on the armor, not quite like Iron Man, but way better, right? Our light is gonna shine with Christ in us if we put on, put on our armor and we begin to live out the faith that God's given to us. You saw the imagery there, right? To wake up because we all need that, don't we? We find ourselves sleepwalking through life. One day turns into the next. We don't stop to ponder, to think, to reflect and find ourselves wasting our lives. It's time to wake up, right? Maybe literally for someone in here this morning that dozed off, but right, time for us to wake up and to get working. We put on our armor. You know, when someone puts on a uniform, it does a couple of different things. One is it shows everyone else who they represent. But it does something to the person wearing the uniform. I don't know if anyone here has done that. You've put on your uniform or maybe you're in the medical profession and you wear your scrubs or put on your, your lab coat in research. When you do, it changes you. It reminds you, you of who you are, not just how people see you, but reminding yourself that we are the followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna stand up today and shine as a light to those who need him most, to love the people that are most difficult to love so that they can see the light too. When we wear a uniform, we also identify with everyone else on our team, everyone else that's in the same uniform. And so we all, as one church, stand together to serve the Lord to make a difference in this world. And time is short, everyone. You heard what Paul said. We never know when Jesus will return. It's deep into the night now, and the morning's coming soon when Jesus will come back. None of us know how much longer we have. We have this day, and so let's live wisely as if this is our last day, to live all out for him, to wake up and to do what he wants us to do. Now, you're gonna notice that he's asking us to live in a certain way and he's gonna have pairs of words now, two pairs, uh, three pairs of words. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, there's the first pair, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, there's the second pair, not in dissension or jealousy. Now, it could very well be that Paul is specifically speaking about a nighttime tradition in Rome where he's writing to, where they were celebrating the god Bacchus and they would, they would work themselves into a drunken frenzy and then get involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. Maybe he's specifically thinking of that, but we don't have to think too hard to realize that we need the same thing right here and now, don't we? We need to realize that as we live for the Lord Jesus and put behind us the things that waste our life, like carousing and drunkenness, put that aside, put that away, sexual immorality, that the Bible speaks clearly that God's design is that sex is to be enjoyed, to be celebrated, 
between a man and a woman in the bonds of holy matrimony, that there are no limits in marriage, that they can have as much fun and all the fun that God designed them to have. That's why he made it. But we tend to break those rules, don't we? That before we're married, we're extramaritally, that we step outside what God has designed and we ruin our life and the life of the other person. We avoid sexual immorality and debauchery. And I think in our culture, we have to at least mention the, the plague of pornography that people looking at naked images is destroying them, destroying their lives and be, quickly becomes an addiction. And it wouldn't be uncommon for many people in a congregation like this to be presently addicted in a way that they feel like I can never get out of this addiction but the Holy Spirit does give us power to break the bonds and to get a new start. And it would begin with you telling someone that you trust that you're struggling in one of these ways and we can pray together and begin to make a plan that God can help all of us to grow. I don't know if you noticed, but in the pairs, right? Carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, now dissension and jealousy Wow, that doesn't seem as bad to us, but in God's eyes, it is. Fighting with one another, creating divisions, being jealous of others is also a concern to our Heavenly Father. What's the best way that we can love one another? It's by waking up and living according to God's rules. The Bible says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I like another translation of that, of that phrase. It says, don't make any provision for your flesh. your flesh. In other words, sometimes we try to see how close we can get to sin. We try to creep up to it and see if we can kind of scare it a little bit, see how close we can get. The Bible says, you know what? Build buffers into your life. If you know you're tempted in a certain area, stay as far away back as you can. Make no provision for the flesh, but instead, let's live in a way that will make a difference in this world. Let's live honorably before people. Let's love like Jesus wanted us to, and let's live each day as if our last. You know, we have a privilege in our church of celebrating communion together, and I wanna just pray, and then we wanna spend just a little bit of unhurried time before the Lord in Holy Communion I think that you've grabbed one of the packets that has a piece of the bread on the top and then the grape juice, which represents the blood of Jesus in the, in the cup as well. And we just wanna take a few minutes to pause and to celebrate the love of God that was demonstrated through Jesus to you and how we then can love others. Let me just start with a prayer. So Father, we thank you today for the revelation of your word for the power that it holds when we listen and wake up and decide to take action. Lord, we know that to love others is not our natural inclination. We need your Holy Spirit's power in us to love others. And so, Father, as we reflect on what you have done for us, may you fill us with your love that we can overflow into the lives of brothers and sisters but also into the lives of those who do not know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Now, we celebrate open communion in our church, which means that everyone is welcome. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you're welcome to join us today. The Bible says that before we take the bread and the cup, that we should examine ourselves, that we should see if there's any unconfessed sin or something between us and God, and before we partake, that we should make that right with him. The Bible says that you can do that right here and now, that if there is something between you and God, that if we confess that to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness right here and now. And so now we can partake together. I want to just pause for a moment while Dan just plays some instrumental music and just give you a chance to talk to your heavenly father. Talk to him about your life. Maybe you've noticed that you haven't been very loving lately and you want to just talk to him about that. Maybe you want to hold the bread and thank him for his broken body, which was given for you so that you could have life. Spend just a moment now in unhurried, quiet time just between you and the Lord and enjoy his presence with you and then we'll partake of the bread together. You, t- you told us to pay off all our debts, but we acknowledge that there's one debt that we could never, ever repay because of your love given to us. And it's very personal, Lord. And so we thank you. We thank you that Christ was all anguish, that I might be all joy. He was cast off so that I might be brought in. He was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. He surrendered to hell's worst, that I might attain heaven's best. He was stripped, that I might be clothed, wounded, that I might be healed. He was thirsty, so that I could drink, tormented, so that I could be comforted, made a shame, so that I could inherit glory. He entered darkness, so that we might have light. My Savior wept all the tears so that my tears could be wiped from my eyes. He groaned so that I could have an endless song. He endured all pain that I might have unfading health. He bore a crown of thorns so that I can have a glory diadem. He bowed his head so that I might lift mine up. He experienced reproach that I might be welcomed. He closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. He expired that I might have eternal life. And so, Father, you who did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all, we thank you and help us to love like you loved us. And now, everyone, we receive from the Lord what he also passed on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body, 
which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And 
Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done to love us. Knowing that he would be going to the cross, the Bible says that he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He wouldn't be moved to the right or to the left because he knew he was going there for you and for me. And so we celebrate this cup, his death and resurrection that bring us life And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. And so, Father, we thank you for your great sacrifice. And now we want to be like you. Help us, Lord, to love as you loved us, without limits, generously, holding nothing back, waking up out of our slumber to live this day as if our last, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to stand? And if someone's close by, just grab onto them. And let's sing this song together. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to Now, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who are making such a difference in this world as they shine with light, putting on their armor of light to shine with your glory. Bless them with the power of your Holy Spirit as they live this week for your glory. We pray, Lord, as we live for you, help us to keep in mind that your coming may be very near. Help us to live this day as if our last. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be on each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.